0: I feel that it is necessary and ordained that I should be alone, a stranger and an exile in relation to every human circle without exception.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a heresy. <laughs> <laughs> that's 100% a heresy.
2: I agree. <laughs> the beings I love are creatures. They were born by chance. My meeting with them.
0: This is. I was going to ask before. Do you
3: need something? No. Okay. I just.
0: I was going to ask before we started, um, but since we just pressed the button, um, you don't have to. But Tyler, do you want to lead us in a prayer?
1: Damn, you're really putting me on the spot (laughs) right now. Um, Yeah. Um, God. Please send your spirit down to help guide our conversations so that we may grow closer to you and uh, fill our hearts with love so that we can hear what one another had to say uh, and put ourselves in their position. I don't know. Uh, and we thank you for giving us the time to talk to each other and spend time with friends and um we thank you for that amen. amen amen damn that was terrible no that was beautiful <laughs> uh, that was my biggest fear and the novitiate was being like impromptu prayer died during like public events i would always like they'd look at me and i'd be like no not me <laughs> <laughs>
0: father peter asked me to uh start our meeting yesterday with prayer and, and mine was so terrible it yeah. was literally just like it was just like help god help 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 us <laughs> see see you and, and and know you it's hard yeah it is hard it's easy when you're by yourself yeah um,
1: which i think says a lot about prayer actually yeah like it's pretty hard when when you're by yourself like you have no fear of like how you're coming across or something, things flow pretty spontaneously and organically. But yeah. then when you feel the presence of other people, it really affects, um, just everything. I think you, you get afraid. I get afraid of how I come across and yeah. how my spirituality sounds to other people. And even like, I don't know what I'm praying for. Like, how does that sound to other people?
3: Is this corny? Yeah. yeah. It's Is this like appropriate. It's that kind of like, uh, you know, there's no like fear of like, <laughs> A god under <laughs> like misunderstanding you yeah but like other people may
1: yeah definitely faith
0: or works bro <laughs> faith or works choose one
3: yeah like they inform one
1: another like works show your faith but they don't merit our they don't merit like salvation or something or they don't merit like it's not about merit yeah works are just simply evidence of that faith is real
0: I feel like you and I had a we had an interchange about I was I sent you a passage from Paul yeah and then you hit me back with the letter of James yeah Damn. can you talk about the difference a little bit
1: Paul um, a big theme in Paul or that people talk about with Saint Paul is um, this idea that you're saved by your faith alone mm. um, and if you certain people want to get extreme about it like he even goes as far as to say like. You know, you don't need to follow Jewish customs and things like that. It's like faith in Jesus Christ that saves us. Um, It becomes a big deal in Protestantism. But then another one of the apostles, James, writes um, a letter, writes three letters. And then the first one, he has this famous line, faith without works is dead. Hmm. And that's kind of famous discourse that I really like about if you have faith, it'll show up in how you live your life and in action. Now, the work, baby. Where it gets complicated is people that interpret that like, okay, like, does, like, does, what does this have to do with merit? Like, does doing good works, am I earning my way into heaven? Mm -hmm. And I don't think that that's the case. It's not like we're in a position where we're like, look, God, I did all this good stuff. Now you have to let me in because I did everything. Like, we're not in this negotiating position with God. I think all he's really saying is that if you really have faith, then helping people in need or being of service to people when it's asked of you or when the moment is available will natural, like it'll just naturally occur to you that that's what you're supposed to be doing Yeah, because faith should sort of breed um, a mode of being that makes you available to others and where you understand that that's like the purpose of your life. And I think it speaks to, to the fact that we don't experience God in a vacuum, like we're communal animals we live in community and um i can't extrapolate like my faith from how i interact with my community and that's a problem i think in general (laughs) like when Mm -hmm. i'm in my own thought world which can include my you know private prayer life but i don't let it spill into how i treat other people or my values in the social world Mm -hmm. um like i think there's legitimate questions then about like the content of your faith. What do you really believe in? Um, you know, how can you believe in a a God who loves everybody and wants to save everybody from their fallenness, and at the same time insist that people be punished for mistakes that they made, and sort of have a ruthless mentality about? You know what I mean? Like, they, there's a yeah. a real tension between believing this thing and acting in this way. I was
0: listening to a podcast with that guy, David Bentley Hart, that I I bought Hank his book for Christmas, Kino Gaia, Hell yeah. a Gnostic tale. Yeah. Um, and Hank's reading about Gnosticism right now. I am, yeah. With, uh, with our R- Romanian king, Kulianu. Kulianu. Do you know about him, Tyler? No. He's That's a it. student of Eliade. You know Eliade? No. <laughs> Scholar of comparative religions. Okay. fascist
3: crazy mix right there yeah <laughs> but culiano himself was was not he was he was probably killed by the fascists
0: most likely he was executed in the bathroom of the u chicago divinity school
3: holy
2: shit
0: like basically like secret police style
2: mm-hmm.
1: insane story when was this like the 30s nice... 91
3: 91
0: <laughs> yeah height of the romanian you know sort of um like third, third position fascist communist Holy regime, shit. which he was very critical of.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. We have kind of we have a Romanian we're, we're theory. On something. Yeah, we we're have a Romanian something. theory. Do you know anything about Romanians? Not even a little bit. <laughs> okay, just wondering. Just but wondering.
1: I'm down. I'm down to learn.
0: Yeah, I think we might have to reveal some information to you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I was I was listening to a podcast with David Bentley Hart and. You know him. He's an orthodox theologian. Yeah. Um, and it was pretty funny because he was responding to one of these tradcath guys that's basically going on and on about how there has to be a hell, right? Right. Um, and, and, and David Bentley Hart is just refuting at every single level this, these guys, this guy's claim that there could be a benevolent creator that would knowingly withhold his grace from from certain people. Right. And allow them to live eternally in yeah. hell.
1: I think I might have listened to the same podcast. Yeah. Did he listen to that? Does he talk about... The one that I listened to, he talks about, like, um, yeah, just how bizarre it is that people believe in, like, a... a a loving God who promises salvation, but demand that other people be punished because they want to feel special. Yeah. It's like, how can I be special to God if everybody is special to God? Mm-hmm. Um, and this sort of immature, I guess, theological or psychological do you,
0: attitude. Do you run into that debate in the church? Did you
1: You're like, yes and no. Like there are definitely people who are open to universalism which is the belief that everybody gets saved mm-hmm. i'm open to it but the church
0: are there levels to universalism itself or is it yes. universalism full stop
1: i think there's levels to it yeah there's a famous catholic theologian named hans and balthazar he was a jesuit for a long time
0: i think uh, that that guy um james from uh, Hermetics is really into balthazar yeah yeah
1: he's an he's an interesting guy I had a friend in a who read them a lot. He has a book on tarot that I kind of want to mm, read. Didn't, didn't
0: he have, like, a mystic baddie that he was linked up with? Yes. A woman.
1: I don't know a lot about her, but she he did. Yeah. A mystic baddie. He did. He, he did. He got, like, a lot of his shit from from her. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah.
0: Um, and Let that be well, a lesson to you, he fellas. Wrote a,
1: he wrote a really famous book, though, called, um, I think it's called Dare We Hope. something like that dare we hope yeah like should dare we hope that everyone is saved and Mm -hmm. i think his conclusion is that the theology in the church is pretty clear that there's a hell and that there's some sort of judgment day but there's like the potential for hope possibly that god is merciful to everybody but there are people i mean there's a ton of people in the church at least in my experience like a sort of traditionalist position that pretty much says the church is taught That there's hell and that people can and probably will go to hell and the church has teaching power around that so that's the way it is and i think it gets problematic when you look at it like um heaven or hell is something that you've earned yeah one way or another (laughs) like that gets very weird and provides a level of provides a type of human agency that feels antithetical to what Christ is teaching in the gospel. And I Can even, you say more? Yeah, I mean, I think that in the gospels, Christ is often teaching at least a a disposition of, like, total submission to God and, like, letting go of our, our will and our ideas and an acceptance of trying to do God's will. Maybe we do that poorly, but at least a willingness to try and do that. And I think the idea that, like, I'm going to earn my way to heaven through good deeds gets very tricky because it starts to slowly add human agency again rather than submitting myself to God and God's judgment. And, I mean, I think if you believe in a benevolent, uh, like, all-knowing, loving God, there shouldn't be a total, a lot of fear around, like, like, if it's really just up to him, right? And there's even in the Mass, I think, it's probably one of the things I like the most about like in the actual prayer, is you're praying for the dead, and at one point part of the prayer is pray for all those who have died. Fallen and asleep
0: those... in the hope of the resurrection.
1: Yeah, and there's even in one of the prayers, it says, for all those who are pleasing to you in the passing from this life, which is an opening up, you're praying for popes and cardinals and priests and then Catholics, and it's almost exclusively for Christians, and then they add this part at the end that says... And for people who Jesus found pleasing, you know, he found their life pleasing, even if they weren't Christian at all, yeah. which is a pretty radical departure from, I think, normative theology that would say that you're saved through the sacraments and through living a life of faith. It pretty much opens up salvation to people who have lived with no faith or who have lived with a faith that they wouldn't have called faith.
3: Pretty cool so does
0: the church take a position on universalism?
3: Yeah, they're not, they're against it.
0: They're against it. Mm-hmm. It's Ashamed. kind
3: of yeah. I feel like that's kind of like a backbone of, I mean, like confession and things like that. To me, yeah. you know.
1: And I think it's not a totally like solved thing necessarily. I see why people want to believe in it in a certain capacity, and why it's hard to believe that everyone goes to heaven. Um, I mean, I think especially with, like, the belief around evil in the church and will and people who choose evil, Mm -hmm. um, it becomes particularly, like, morally detestable to be like, oh, you chose evil your whole life, you hurt people your whole life, you turned away from God's grace your whole life, and then you get eternal salvation and to live with God, even though you didn't want that at all, and you didn't live that way at all. I mean, I think I can understand at least why someone would feel opposed to that. But I also think that David Bentley Hart's making a good point about, is this about wanting what's best for them? Or is this about like me feeling threatened in my relationship with God and my specialness to God? And it hurts, you know, it hurts people to think that this person who's fucked up and doing evil shit is just as special to God as I, I am. Th- I,
0: Pin- Pinocchio mode. <laughs> I don't want to be a real boy <laughs>
3: yeah well i think that's where like for me it kind of like i'll see people who have like done great harm to me and like still like uh, like they chose knowing full well like this will cause harm mm-hmm. to me i feel like that's something that like stays with them and if they they don't release it through like some kind of like you know like is it absolution is that the word yeah uh That like thing, things like that, the buildup of that, if like your life is just full, like I am just choosing evil all the time. Right. I think that like, you know, personally when you die, like that stuff like binds you to like this world. Like it doesn't, it doesn't allow you to kind of move in the way that you need to once you die yeah it's
0: a little gnostic
3: yeah 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 Yeah. because you've been choosing these like these eyes that is that you've been moving in this way that would not be the yeah you know will of god
0: christ is really adamant in the gospels about this world being pretty rough yeah what do you think about that whole
1: i would agree like the
0: world versus
1: yeah i think life is
0: the world versus
1: us life in the world is really hard yeah and i mean whatever way you look at it historically it's been pretty fucking tough for almost everyone who's lived with maybe rare exception and i don't think even today like when you with all the technological stuff where we've answered a lot of like the natural need question, it's -hmm. still fucking hard and painful and oftentimes like very confusing for people. So I think that the struggle against the world is, is really difficult. And I've learned to appreciate like martial imagery and prayer because of that, that like, it really is a kind of a battle to stay on the track and to not get lost in, in your suffering and sort of take a bad path. To alleviate, I mean, most of the time that's how I see it. Like, people take you know, when people sort of deviate from what's right or whatever path we want to call that. Like, it's usually not because they're bad people or something, they're in pain or something like that, and they're trying to alleviate it through a course of action or a set of ideas that they think are going to bring relief, but that you know either don't or it causes pain to other people or yeah, both. The spreading of the pain, right
0: yeah i feel like that was one of the moments when i first felt the call of of like not even of um, christ per se but just of like some kind of faith was when i realized that like there's like two, there sort of is like two directions that I can walk in my life. Yeah. I think I like said this to you when I was first, um, getting sober again, I was kind of like, at the end of the day, like I can like, I can kind of like make qualifications here and there, but like, I can feel it when I'm going in a certain direction Mm -hmm. and I can feel it when I'm going in. When I'm like walking into the light. Right. And it, at a certain level, it is like a deeply just kind of intuitive, um, thing. Yeah. I don't know.
1: Yeah. It's hard to explain. I mean, I think
0: it's not even like it, it at a certain level, it loses its moral, um, you know, judgment. And it's just like, I can feel, <laughs> I can feel the evil and the evil isn't, it's not malevolent. It's just, yeah, it's just eating away mm-hmm. at me or something. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I feel like,
0: I mean, certain people would say it's malevolent.
1: Huh? Yeah. And even like the moral thing for me, I think I can get lost in that question of like morality. Mm mm-hmm.
0: You're a morals type guy, bro. Yeah, for real. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so true. Um, I mean, I feel like to go back to that question of like, is life suffering? I mean, I think it is. I think it, it kind of is. Because, I don't know, I just sort of think like, you know if you really look at the the god question or like is there a god i mean if you answer no you're kind of left with a sense of nihilism that mm-hmm. can't be fulfilling and i don't think like nihilism is sort of usually represented as like a depressed like sad thing but not necessarily they've answered that the the meaning of life and the question of life there's no that it's it's a it's not even a valid question and um, you can sort of at that point distract yourself until you die (laughs) which doesn't seem to be a satisfying answer to to being here and um, like you were saying it's a thing for me that is intuitive we had a bit of a you and I
0: had a bit of a I wouldn't say debate but like we had like a bit of a like exchange (laughs) we had a bit of an exchange around like i've been on this tip lately that's maybe a little heretical (laughs) um plane flying over by saying that like and i didn't like invent this but by saying that like christianity is like inherently a modern religion yeah in the sense that the traditionalists in the church today who you, you know better than I, I don't, I don't really know what they're like. I've never actually seen these people. And I haven't, except on Twitter, I have an anecdote about this from church this last Sunday. Yeah. But I, I was sort of saying provocatively to you, like, the reason they're so like dumb is that like, the thing they want to return to isn't even like a, it's not a return because Christ like destroyed like idolatry right. completely. So there's no return to the old gods of like in which like human and and god were at the same level. Yeah. in this sort of like amniotic cozy existence. And that's what like that's what like Eliade and René Guénon the like real traditionalists want to return to. Right. So so, my thing with you is kind of saying, like, well, like, at a certain level, it is sort of like Christ or nothing. And I don't mean, like, Christianity or nothing, but it it is sort of like radical love Mm -hmm. or nothing. Yeah. What do you think about that?
1: I guess. I had a a question that came to mind. Is it any more, is the traditionalist desire to return to this pre-modern state of union with god any more ridiculous than um, a sort of revolutionary state of mind where we want to push forward into a utopian no like they feel very similar to i me. mean it's not exactly no i mean i think the 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 thing to
0: so call that's what is... you're
3: saying is that we're stuck in the middle yeah the, the modern right. sensibility
1: i don't think either are possible i don't think we'll ever have a a messianic revolutionary moment and i don't think it's possible to go back to some sort of you know pre-historical union with the divine or whatever i think we're like you were saying we're stuck
0: so like does that bum you out
1: no not necessarily
0: because I think Hank and I are like still pretty. I We're, can't speak for for you, but I'm I'm still, I'm still a little bit of a messianic. Yeah, kind of. I
1: have that in me too. Kind of, yeah.
0: kind of man.
1: I have that in me too, <laughs> but I think I've given up more or less completely on the idea that that's like possible in history.
0: Let me let me just say this: like when I'm when we got to know each other. You were really into, um, basically like mutual aid anarchy. Yeah.
1: Communist anarchism.
0: Communist anarchism. Do you see that that, do you, like, have you, like, grown past that? Do you see, like, your interest in that stuff? Yeah. As, uh, compatible with your beliefs now? Because some of that stuff is, is not, that messianic it's more like it's like rooted in the moment
1: yeah i mean i think that this it's the same moral impulse right the same thing that drove me that drove my interest in communist anarchism and marxism and things like that are the same things that drove me to christianity and i don't know if alleviating suffering in the world is possible through materialistic means i don't think the proper distribution of materials is going to alleviate human suffering yeah. i think we agree with
0: you on that i absolutely agree with you.
1: which is a, really what they're getting at a lot of the times is that if we just organize things in the right way if we organize but, labor but in that's, the right way. but you
0: were interested in aa and right? aa isn't about materialism at all no i mean i think you were that's interested a, in right. aa as a model of communal anarchism
1: yeah and i think that's a different question about sort of the modern condition and sort of like how uncommunal our experience is. Um, as like, yeah, like we live pretty individualistic lives that are like disconnected from one another, disconnected from shared tradition and shared ritual. Mm-hmm. And so in a similar way, I think my interest in AA in that way is a communal sharing of experience and a sharing of a way of life. Um, also like as a sort of, maybe took me to catholicism too i mean i don't know yeah
0: makes sense yeah
1: but that doesn't i used to think that that was something that everybody struggled with and i don't know if i think that anymore i think some people are quite comfortable living sort of these like
3: atomized lives yeah people
1: enjoy it Especially if you make, I think if you have enough money and you make 150 K a year. Yeah. I had a similar, (laughs) you can surround yourself with technology and just mm. zone out and it's fine. I taught like a
0: bit of Eliade to my students and I like posed that question to them of like, basically he says that like humanity isn't creative anymore because we like lost the capacity to like create in the true sense yeah with monotheism and because we don't believe in it anymore yeah we just can't do anything mm. and i and i and i he says this horrible thing about how we're just going to like repeat these like archetypes um like tell stories to ourselves um in this kind of delusional way i was like posed that to my students and one of them was just like yeah i'm not like really worried about that like i just don't really it's <laughs> <care. laughs> i don't really care <laughs> I was like, "Oh yeah!" Like he was like, "Maybe I'm just not old enough." That's sick. Yeah,
3: yeah. Just keep on keeping on, but yeah. this thing that i wrote down years ago after being cheated on yeah Yeah. (laughs) that sounds good i i was just wondering in in what i wrote if like if people who are cheating you know this this kind of and not you know in a marriage sense which is adultery right is it always adultery yes not in marriage in christianity Say that again. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Adultery or not?
3: Yeah. Okay, I think that is okay. That is still because I was like wondering if like I had a situation in my life.
0: But let he who is without sin cast the first stone. it's so true, right, bro? Yeah. <laughs>
3: We picked that one up from uh, artificial intelligence, not not from. Uh, I picked the it Bible. up from the Bible. No, I know. It was a, it, it was a,
0: it was an AI. Never yeah. seen that. No. It was a nice little thing because the guy said it, and then people started pelting him with t- tomatoes like at the circus. <laughs> Damn. Oh,
3: <Yeah. laughs> uh, like a
0: Kid Rock concert. It
3: was it was awesome. Yeah, but I was yeah I was wondering. If... What do you
0: think about Kid Rock?
3: I saw Kid Rock.
0: What? Live
1: fourteen or fifteen? Wow! And this guy bought me a beer, like an adult, like that. That I sounds ran about to, right. A beer. Yeah. Leonard Skinner opened for them. What Leonard yeah. Skinner opened? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That seems like a massive disrespect to Leonard
0: Skinner, who I'm not like interested in defending. Yeah, it was right, a but... sick concert.
1: <laughs> it was fucking dope. Where was it? It was at the the State Fair. What? Wow. in Minnesota. Yeah, Minnesota State Fair grandstand.
3: It was fire. That's cool. Bro, I'm sorry. This is just still bothering me. Now it... No, it's good. Getting...
0: <laughs> Can you just, for, for experiment's sake, just... Oh,
3: God. Dang it. Twist that. Twist it. <laughs> this? Down. No, Because no. it's, it's rotating yeah. here, yeah. Can you just speak,
0: like, see what happens when you speak from there? Like, right here? That's perfect. Heard. Is there any way you could, you could like, just sit up straight and just, just, just buck up a little? For me? Do you need you like, like, like another pillow? pillow? Have we fun. can get you another yeah. pillow. Have fun, bro.
1: No, I think I can handle. That sounds this wow. so much yeah. better. Okay.
3: Yeah. Wonderful. <laughs> yeah, so I just had this, I had this, uh, thing where like, um, after I was cheated on, and it was like a particularly horrible situation, um, where this person who I had been dating, like through like end of high school, for, like two and a half years left me for, uh, basically my childhood best friend, um, who was <laughs> like my own, only time, only, like one of my only friends at the time too. Um, damn. and I kind of like. I think I, like, intellectualized and compartmentalized it too much, like, at the beginning, because it was, like, just too, it was, like, too much for me to handle, you yeah. know? I was, like, 21, like, that's, yeah. what do you do with that? Um. But then I, I, like, came to this kind of, like, understanding where, like, if it ever, like, came up and people, like, learned that they were, like, still together, I'd be, like, I'd rather have that than, like, Then it was, like, all that happened for, like, nothing. And then they eventually got married. And I was kind of like, was this, like, was this, like, them, like, opening themselves up to, like, truth and, like, God's love? Because, like, know... <laughs> <laughs> like, now I know. This
0: is Hank's theodicy. Because
3: now, it's, like, now I know, you know, like, like that relationship, like, was, like, not great, you know. I, yeah. I, I knew that. And then it's, like, well, if they, like, moved on and, like, got married and I was, like, a part of that. know that expression or was that like some like demonic entanglement that they were like work you know it's one of those weird things that i i had to like
1: we may never know
3: i think that you can still
1: you can condemn an action while still acknowledging that god works through it yeah like um not to keep bringing everything back to recovery but like most people in recovery who develop a relationship with god get there because they've destroyed their life through drinking and using drugs and so i wouldn't say that okay you you got to this beautiful place with god through being a drug addict drugs might not be that bad it's like well we can still condemn or not condemn whatever word you want to use we can still say that that's not good behavior but that god works with that to draw near to us and and give us full lives where we can know him and it sounds that's how i would interpret what happened to you like i wouldn't say that how either of them treated you was the way that you should treat the way that God wants you to treat (laughs) another human being. But I also think that God's (laughs) God like understands that understands our condition and understands that we're like kind of weak and can still like work with them in their relationship while still being like, yeah, you really oughtn't treating people that way.
0: Are there any stories of cuckoldry in the new Testament? No, Probably. In the New Testament, I think there might be, maybe. I don't think so. I think it's only in the <laughs> Old Testament.
1: Shit, sure, we're gonna have to look into
2: this. Yeah, yeah. We'll have to find out. <laughs>
3: just, I'm just imagining like a web page from like 1998 that's just like devoted to like cuckoldry and in, in the New Testament. Well, what
0: what is the episode where Jesus says the cast the first stone thing? Because it's an adultery thing. Yeah, and
1: there's a history around that text where a guy in the novitiate was telling me this, and. For anyone who's listening, I'm not like
3: a theologian or anything. I just like God. Fact, we've done no introduction of Tyler at all. Doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't. That's okay. I yes. was just I was just thinking about that. But there yeah. was a
1: guy. There was a guy in the novitiate who was a seminarian and who had done. He mean, did four or five years of schooling. Yeah, and we would talk a lot about, um, like theology and stuff. And he was telling me that that story in the Bible about the woman being stoned um is believed to be one of the few that's like undoubtedly true and probably happened Yeah, because it doesn't fit with, it's like inserted into the narrative. Like I forget the way he explained it, but he was pretty much saying that there's a sort of development of Jesus's divinity. And then in the middle of that, they just sort of slapped this story in. And the belief is that what scholars have kind of come up with was that early Christian communities who comprise these texts um thought that the story was so important. Yeah. That they just wanted, they needed to find a place to insert it. And so they sort of unnaturally insert it in this place. And so chronologically, it's probably not true, but enough people were present and were impacted by it to where they wrote it down and it made its way into wow. one of the books and was retained in the book. So it probably definitely happened and um, had a huge impact. Obviously he's breaking the law and he's criticizing. He's breaking the, and fulfilling the law, right? Which is like super profound. Like the religious law is binding. Like the covenant at Sinai is as binding as the covenant between Christians and.
0: That's the Jesus. thing about the adultery thing, and I think that's why people find it an alienating concept. Is that it's like it, the prohibition against it isn't really about hurting another person
1: in the old covenant, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's meant to be, but it ends up becoming about this very lawful attitude. You think it was meant to be? I mean, that's my interpretation is that the laws were meant to guide human conduct to create like an ethical society in the eyes of God, but that people became too people, meaning like the priests and uh, the people who the patriarchs essentially became too concerned with the letter of the law and a sort of theoretical interpretation of things. And it became profoundly rigid. Um, And on the other hand, most of the people in early Israeli society worked and were like illiterate. So they didn't, maybe they knew the law by heart, but there's two different faiths going on where people can't live up to the expectations that are being passed down to them by the priests. And it creates a series of prophets who are sort of preaching against this deeply legalistic interpretation that condemns people, um, and makes people feel sinful and pushes people away from God who are in some ways, honestly doing their best to, to be close to God and to live near God. And I think that's where we get stories like, um, you know, there's stories about eating on the Sabbath or doing work on the Sabbath where priests are condemning people for doing work on Saturday if you really think about it like it's a pretty hard thing to not do (laughs) yeah (laughs) in first century palestine it's easy if you're a priest and you spend your whole life praying and being cared for it's very hard if you're some you know poor farmer who you know you need to feed your sheep or something or you there's certain activities you need to do on the sabbath and then to be made to feel like you're not well you're not clean in front of god you've sinned against god so on and so forth and i think there's a lot of unfortunate corollaries between that situation, what we have now with the church and the fact that people can't live up to the expectations that are being passed down to them by a priest class that acts oftentimes as lawyers or something for God. Mm -hmm.
0: That, 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 the, the hurt of that kind of betrayal seems to be something that's like pretty, pretty like it shows up in a lot of like human myth. Yeah. Of like being, I mean, they wouldn't call it being cheated on, but like, <laughs> like it seems to be like a, um, like if there's like original sin, do you think there's like, I mean, I don't know if you believe in original sin, but like, do you are there like original like hurts? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because sin is sin is just kind of
1: like a code
0: around hurt. I think
1: I understand original sin. <clears throat> Like it's, and like I know that's not what original concupiscence is, but... is how, I mean, that's what, how it the heck? what is that concupiscence is like our innate disposition to move away from God. Like that we, on one, it's like this kind of contradictory thing on one hand, like we live and move and have our being in God and we totally experience God and everything that we do. And then there's something in us that's constantly like trying to get away from that and trying to assert our own existence as reality. And I think that's how I understand original sin is that we're born with this sort of dual nature on the one hand to sort of be totally close to God in a certain way. And on the other hand, to totally fall short of that relationship and to try and assert my existence as being more real.
0: So do you think that like, cause my question is like what, like, why do people cheat on each other then?
1: Um, (laughs) shit. (laughs) I think I'm trying to, I mean, I think there's like a theological answer and maybe a psychological one. Maybe there's an answer in the middle. That's better.
0: Yeah. You don't have to provide a theological answer, bro. Or a psychological answer.
1: I would say that people, I mean, I guess I, I do sort of naturally think in this way now, but that, Like, to go back to what I was saying earlier, like, I don't think anyone's evil. I don't think people cheat because they have really malicious intentions, necessarily. I think... And I'd be totally shocked if there was anyone really out there that was, like, moving in that way. It might exist, but I think most people, it's a, like, privation of good kind of situation. We have, like, a fucked up conception of what's good. Yeah. That usually is too focused on ourselves and our ideas about the world. and doesn't really consider um, the real like reality. And so when we cheat, we're usually pursuing some sort of good that's like deeply hurtful to other people and isn't actually good. It's not like I'm like out here like, fuck so-and-so, I'm going to do what I want. <laughs> it's yeah. like, it's that's usually not someone's like base intention. It's usually like, this would be good for me if I... Got what I wanted in this situation, or this would feel good, or whatever. Can you, man? My tummy's gonna get picked up on them. Mine thing. does too. Don't worry. Growling.
3: Yeah, my tummy growls too. <laughs> they, they like that. <laughs> we get we get <laughs> notes constantly. They say it humanizes. It. That's good. I think that would
1: be my answer. I mean, I think when you get cheated on, it definitely doesn't feel that way. It definitely feels like. Definitely doesn't this person, feel like the Odyssey. No. It definitely, it definitely feels like this person hurt me. Yeah, yeah. They hurt me, but I also think that that's in the same way. That's a misapprehension of reality. That's like mm. they really probably weren't thinking about me. That's like where they went wrong. Yeah. But they also weren't doing what they were doing with me at the source of their intention.
0: I think that's the. I think that's the. For me, is the most painful thing to consider what you said is they weren't thinking about me yeah yeah definitely
1: and it's it's really painful <laughs> yeah for some reason
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, then, and then you get over it and you eventually you come to see they weren't thinking about me right mm-hmm.
1: so be it it yeah. is very sad in a way though yeah but i think it's revealing maybe of like loving other people means like getting them into your consideration. Again, let
0: he, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. <laughs> who among us? That's true. Hasn't been thinking about someone else while we were doing something. Yeah. Yeah. But again, I think you. I like. I like that you said. You know, should should we can still condemn it?
1: Yeah. yeah. We don't just have to be okay we with can whatever people it. we can <laughs> still have beef. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
3: But but you don't want to have too much beef. No. Yeah.
1: You want to you want to <laughs> condemn it and move on. Yep. And be open to forgiving the person. You eat the beef. Yeah.
0: Yeah, beef is like bread. <laughs> Do you think you can bake
1: bake break bread with beef? Probably. Yeah, definitely. With another person. Yeah. Yeah. You can break beef. Do you
0: think you can break bread with beef? <laughs> <laughs> You're sitting at the same table as beef. Yeah, do you think you can sit at the same table where beef is at
3: and break bread? Yes. One million dollars or lunch with beef where you break bread?
1: Depends on the beef. There's beefs out there that are worth more than. To break them would be worth more than a million dollars. Yeah, I agree. So much internal peace. How do you break bread with beef? Shit, sometimes I don't. (laughs) sometimes the other person doesn't want to want to break bread with beef with you you know yeah definitely there's a lot of those and that's that's the worst situation is when you can't
0: that's some real misapprehension of reality yeah yeah
1: and that's I think part of how you realize that breaking beef with people is good because when when it moves into a space where you can't just permanent discomfort around the issue (laughs) I mean it's almost that's fucking terrible
3: it's almost that's insanity yeah yeah it truly is.
1: I don't know if there's anyone. There's maybe people where it would be, it would be intimidating to get a text to be like, I'm in town. Like, let's get coffee and talk about X or yeah. whatever. But I don't know if there's anybody in my life where I wouldn't be open. Like, I wouldn't be open to doing that.
2: you 10 toes only, down.
1: Yeah. If only to like settle things between and feel better about things. And yeah. Yeah.
0: I feel like that's a, that's like a litmus for me in my life is like, am I, am I ducking people? Oh, I am. If I'm ducking people, (laughs) that's
1: not good. I was thinking about that on the drive up here about like, how terrible is it to feel like there are just people in the world who hate you in a way, or like you'd be terrified to run into them. Cause I was thinking about in the context of like, what if so-and-so listened to this or so-and-so listened to this? And I'm like, damn, there's a lot of people who I don't want to listen. to. What this. do you want to say to them, bro? Shit. Hit me up. I'm sorry. Let's talk things through. Let's
3: let's break beef. That's so true. Very um, relatable. Yeah. You Actually, told me that it's, sorry, go ahead. Oh, uh, I was just about to say that I find I was kind of going to move into this, uh, question about anger. Yeah. You yeah. know, and a lot of, Good a lot question. of my, my, um, issues are around this like expression of anger. Cause it, I, I just have a fear I have a fear of it. Me I have, too. I have the, these, I've had these, uh, situations throughout my life where that kind of like anger, like has, has both like felt horrible within me and has like caused me like harm yeah and, uh, and like realizing, especially through this kind of you know, my own like relationship to my own like anger about situations like this, like people ducking me or like (laughs) me ducking people is like, it's amazing where I'm just like, (laughs) like angry where I'm just like, yo, I just want to, I just want to fucking talk. (laughs) Like, you're just such a crazy, like, (laughs) I just want to talk to you. (laughs) Like, let's, let's settle this beef. Like I'm getting angry because we can't settle. a beef. square up. Literally. Yeah. Like, let's just like deal with this where that kind of like, the ducking of it itself, like, causes me... The anger. duckening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Anger. I can't, I can't, I think, go... I guess it depends. Like, I can't break beef with someone if I'm still angry at them. Or if I feel yeah. anger, I feel like it's a bad recipe for me, yeah. too.
0: What do you think Jesus was talking about when he said... I'm. I'm not bringing peace. I'm here to bring the sword. Turn turn mother against daughter type shit. That was the crazy part. I wrote a homily about that. What's that mean? I kind of know what it means. What do you think it means? I kind of think it means it's more of leaving the world behind. Right. It's more about. I don't. I can't articulate it. Yeah. Something about giving up attachments. There's a. But 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 why that imagery? Um, Is that martial imagery? Yeah, probably. I mean, Tyler was telling me about martial imagery. Martial imagery. Marshall Mathers imagery. The, put on the helmet of God. I think. That's surprising. I'm pretty sure. I thought you, I thought you were kind of anti that.
1: I was for a while. Yeah. But it's we useful. Heard, we
0: heard that Dominican spinning some of it. Yeah, I mean. Dominican priest, not Dominican person. I'm trying to think of how to answer
1: your question. It. In the book of Luke, it's a different. It's the same reading, but he changes it from "I came to bring the sword" to like it's in Matthew. Matthew, and Matthew and Luke. it's In Matthew, it's "I came to bring the sword," and in Luke, it's "I came to break families apart," which is not better. <laughs> <laughs> I came to put the kids in cages. <laughs> I came, I came, to, turn, I came yeah, to yeah. He's like it I, like, ca- I <laughs> came to turn mother against daughter and father against son, and it'll be two against three. Yeah, shit's gonna. It'll, it'll be go two crazy two on the court. <laughs> and. I interpreted that as like a leaving the world thing. Yeah. I think the spin is like you meet other people on the way who have left the world and left their families and left the things that seem immediately important to us to go and follow God in this special way. Um, but he has a lot of harsh lines like that. Like, I forget where it is in the New Testament, but he talks about, he's like, come follow me. And this person's like, can I go bury my dad first? And he's like, let the dead bury their dead. Which it doesn't make sense. People um, always, people have always said that as yeah. like an idiom
0: and I've never, never knew that it came from that. Yeah. And
1: that's a really yeah. imagine if you think about it in a contextual way, like he's calling someone to, to follow him and the guy's like, L- my dad died and I need to like go to the funeral. And he's like, no, follow me now or don't. And it's a pretty tough line. Yeah. It's kind of like a, it's kind of like a zen almost thing
0: though of like, be here now yeah Mm um like it doesn't matter except right now yeah and it's the it's the um i forget what the german word is or there's a some latin word or something there's a there's a different word for now that doesn't just mean temporally the time that it is it means
1: the instant in which a thing can happen yeah yeah And I think, yeah, like when I was talking to Bill about leaving, he said that he was like, I think you should discern, really discern this and pray and go through this process. But when you hear, if God's calling you to leave, like God asked the, God asked the the disciples to drop their nets and like drop what they're doing right now and follow him. So if like you feel the need to follow him, like you do it Come and see. Yeah, come and see. Come
0: and see. That's what he said. Yeah. He's cryptic. Come and see.
1: (laughs) So, which is scary. I think a lot of people, a lot of people are like, want time to think about it and to consider what they want to do. Yeah. It's like very antithetical to how we think and move in the modern world. Like,
0: you know, it is, I mean, meeting with this meeting with father Peter, it's like I was saying, I think before we started that it's nice to me that he's not super intellectual. Like I was, I was telling him about Anchorette. Yeah. Just for context in my life. And he didn't know what an Anchorite was. I had to explain it to him. Yeah. He's like, oh, go look that up. And I told (laughs) him about it. He was like, that sounds kind of intense to me. I was like, bro, (laughs) you're a Jesuit. (laughs) (laughs) What do you mean? (laughs) Like you literally can't have sex, bro. Yeah. Um, no, that's disrespectful. I, 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 I redact that. Um, but it's really nice for me to talk to him because I'll like occasionally bring up questions I have for him about something I heard in either something I read in the, in the gospels or the old Testament or something I hear in a liturgy kind of taking his temperature on whether he agrees with it or like if it's conservative, too conservative or like, yeah, and he will like give a little bit of feedback, but he like really discourages me from focusing on that side of things. Right. It's like much more about how it hits.
1: Yeah. Um, do you feel like Do you feel like spiritual direction's been fruitful for your prayer? Extremely fruitful. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah. I mean, it's like I'll I'll bring things to him, and he doesn't even weigh in on the things, but he'll just say like, "What you What you're bringing to me is." substantial yeah and just hearing that is like extremely anchoring to know that like i, I don't like it's hard to explain but does that make yeah. sense to it you does make you sense. sense yeah
1: that's all i have to say like they won't really comment on the content but they'll comment on sort of like the tone in which you're experiencing it being yeah like that feels this feels substantial and good or like of God or like, whoa, it feels like there's a lot of like nervousness in this and sort of panic. And you should really reconsider where maybe some of this is coming from.
0: Are you a Platonist, bro?
1: (laughs) (laughs) A little bit. You think the
0: intellect can like, you know, is like good.
1: Yeah. But I think that it's dominating too in our world. Yeah people like it's a way to flex and Certainly, it's easy i think in our atomized like society to get lost in your own thought world and um in a way that's like deeply unhealthy i mean i had the same experience in spiritual direction as both of you where like it wasn't tolerated on some level by my director to like do mind man shit with yeah. him he didn't like it yeah. and would kind of be like call me out on it and it was good for me to um you know i think that's a way that i try and validate myself validate like what i'm doing because sometimes it's just too vulnerable and it feels silly and so i need like these like cool ideas to like um give it a different flavor or something but
0: do you think if you were like a real dumb guy he would try to push you more to like understand
1: no <laughs> I mean maybe that's not tr- that's not true actually I guess yeah. like because they yeah, are obviously very the, smart in the novitiate yeah. I would say that everybody is encouraged to stretch in the areas or at least the idea is that everyone's encouraged to stretch in areas where they're not developed so if you're some sort of like intellectual you know you're not going to have a hard time reading theology and if you're like the gym bro guy like that's probably going to be hard for you to like yeah. and there were guys like that where do they have a gym do they have a gym hell yeah, yeah so there was a like guy lifting. there there was a guy there who had a lifting program called elbow meat elbow meat elbow meat <laughs> he was a d1 athlete he was like <laughs> in very good shape and he had this program called elbow
3: meat
2: elbow
1: he, meat elbow meat <laughs> do they do
3: they but but would they encourage you would they be like you're you're messing a little bit too much with the mind like go hit the gym no. Okay, so it's not he would. He saw yeah, a yeah. little movement in the novitiate about that. I think that I think he's, he's doing he, God's word. He moved the cookies away for, to
1: a less prominent place in the kitchen, and tried to get the Mountain Dew taken out of the house, which it's I got very mad about. A little indulgent of you guys. That's what he
0: said. <laughs> and you it, might it, you might need to wear the hair shirt for a couple weeks, bro.
1: <laughs> but like that guy had to write. I guess my point was like, yeah. that guy had to write essays and share them with me and with another guy who's a, a lawyer and yeah. you know, he had to, he had to do that and I guess in a similar way, like if you'd never, you know, there are guys there who probably never worked and you have to go experience what it's like to have a job and work with guys who are older than you who have had careers even. So yeah. everybody's getting stretched in new ways and um, Expected to learn things that are outside of their comfort zone. And I think that's good for you. It was good for me. Anarchia again in Greek. I think it literally translates to without hierarchy or without something to that effect. And I know Kropotkin traces it back to in like philosophy to Epicureanism,
0: which is about, which is about pleasure Pleasure.
1: to some extent. I think, yeah, it's about pleasure. And I was just
0: reading about, in individual and the cosmos in the Renaissance philosophy. Do you know this book? Ernst yeah, Tonsire. you were showing that to me. Yeah, I got apple juice on it. Um, he was just talking about how some philosopher, I don't remember if it was Bruno or Pico. Della Mirandola. Do you know Renaissance philosophy at all? Was talking about how, one of them was making an argument that Christianity and Epicureanism are not inimical to one another, in the sense that Christian love raises pleasure to its like to its like proper mm. like I don't even
1: know type mm. shit. They're saying that it does, or let that me, it let doesn't. Me,
0: let me find it. You guys keep talking. <laughs> <laughs> keep
3: hamming it up.
0: Oh, I got it. Okay. It's Skyvala. I'll, I'll just read this this I don't know I don't know if this will make any sense. So So he's talking about um, he's talking about the change in the, in the orientation of man to God in the Renaissance, basically, broadly. In a, in a conception such as this, oriented as it is towards the subject rather than the object and towards faith rather than works. Ooh, there it comes back. There can no longer be any hierarchical representation of religiosity. Non enim in solid cucalatus vita Christi custoditer. And and like a classic smart guy, he doesn't translate the Latin, so all of us are screwed. (laughs) Yeah, it's such a boss move. Um, As a result of this liberation from the straits of hierarchy, both action and thought have a completely new amplitude. To be sure, the claim of Christianity that it contains the truth, pure and simple, remains unassailed. But more and more, the content of Christian faith must submit to an interpretation that adapts it to the requirements of natural reason. We can clearly observe this happening in Valla's first work, the dialogue de, volupt, de voluptate, the, the voluptuous. I just made that up. <laughs> here it probably is like the same root though right voluptate here pleasure is shown to be not only the highest good but the good pure and simple the conserving principle of life and therefore the basic principle of all value now this renewed hedonism does not present itself as an enemy of the faith rather it places itself under the protection of the faith itself vala's basic thesis states that christianity is not inimical to epicureanism for it is itself nothing but a more elevated and sublimated Epicureanism. Is the bliss that Christianity promises its followers anything but the highest and most complete form of pleasure?
1: Yeah, I would. Heresy or I not. get what he's saying. <laughs> I get what he's saying. I would say heresy. Yeah. Because. That sounds heresy. He's pretty much. He's Burned pretty much redefining pleasure in a way like. I just think that's a weird argument where it's like you're redefining pleasure in a way that makes like, for example, sacrificing yourself in a Roman Colosseum is pleasurable under that definition because you're doing it for the greater glory of God, which I don't think that or being crucified or any other. Right. Like, yeah, he's pretty much saying that those experiences, because they're in the pursuit of this Christian form of pleasure, are the same as that kind of sounds like a George Bataille type activity. Yeah, and I think Epicureanism is much more straightforward in the sense that life is about cultivating a a sensuous type of pleasure. Yeah. A pleasure that we feel, not um some sort of idea of pleasure. I don't think that pleasure is bad, and I think that there's yeah. a line of thought in Christianity where at least for a while certain people spit, thought that. spit your heresies. Shit, that's on another that's it's on like, a different line. Oh really? I, I thought say, it was on the I thought it was on the
0: Eros and Christianity stuff.
1: I mean, I do think that, like, even within that, I think that, like, he's pretty much saying that sex is sacramental, that it's a, um, that in its best case, we're oriented towards one another in a way during sex that raises our, our consciousness of God to like a, a place of sacrament, a place of like real physical encounter with God. Yeah. But I wouldn't say that that's... (laughs) I wouldn't say that that's a, a, hedonistic understanding, like a hedonistic understanding of sex that really prioritizes pleasure, um is much less concerned with the other person in a certain capacity. Or if it is, you're, you're alone. You're, you're con- your concern for the other person is only insofar as it serves you as an end. You're alone. Right? Like, I guess the difference to me would be like, um treating people as ends in themselves. So do you think that we can leave the world
0: behind in our encounters with other humans?
1: Yeah, I do. I think that that's like one of the beautiful things about religion is that it teaches you how to do that in a certain way. Like you really learn to have encounter with other, you encounter other people where it's like, oh, like you are also like a meaningful person to God who has this deep internal life that God is a part of. And it's not just me in the world having like Gnostic experiences. It's like, it's everybody. And I get to encounter that every now and then Mm. when I choose to open myself up to it. Mm. And I think it's hard when you're so lost in your own spiritual experience that you can't be a part of someone else's. It's like a really sad place to be in your faith life. Mm. And I've been there and it sucks. It's like not fun. You're like so concerned with finding God in your own life that you're missing it all the time when you're around other people who in some ways, they're trying to open you up to it. That's
0: why I see. That's why I see you making boss moves out here, personally. Thank you, because I I know that you are a person who's always been seeking, and if anything that, if anything, if 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 ever that has led you astray, it's only in that way. Yeah, that it can take you away from
1: right people. Yeah, yeah. and I think that's like a similar. Like I mean, sometimes you fall short of it. And that's like a concupiscence thing, right? Like I'm trying to find God so hard that I'm not open to other people. I'm like so locked into my own experience and I'm trying to do something that's good. Gotta hurry up and find it. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's someone in front of me who's trying to let me into their life where I would probably find God if I was willing to like not think about myself for a couple minutes. And unfortunately there's just times where you can't get past it and it slips by you.
2: Yeah.
1: There certainly are. And I think that to me is an example of sin. That's like worthwhile. It's not like a beating yourself up. Like I'm bad. It's like, Oh, look at that. Like I had an opportunity to do something good and to encounter God. And I didn't because I was like too focused on my, on trying to make it happen myself. Big facts. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can't force grace. But shit, heretical takes? <laughs> <laughs> Can I tell my Not anecdote that. about church? Yeah.
0: I don't know if this will get us off track, but I just, I thought this was funny. So, my, I've been going to mass at the Basilica here. Yeah. Which we went, did we go once together? Yes.
1: Yeah, we did. Yeah, it was a- Great
0: mass. Yeah. I really like the priest there. He's he's cool. He has a funny voice. Yeah, he does have a funny voice. Yeah. <laughs> Father Harry. Um but they uh this past Sunday I brought my friends Jack and Ava. Shout out Jack and Ava. Oh yeah. I think they had some experiences with Lutheranism but are interested in you know, checking stuff out. Yeah. So they came to Mass with me, which was really wonderful. Um and they were like, oh, you guys are singing on, like, a whole other level. Yeah. The songs are so much harder. Yeah. That made me feel pretty good about myself because I'm, I'm pretty bad at singing. Yeah. So I was like, at least it's, like, hard singing that I'm trying hard yeah. to do.
1: Yeah. I'm terrible yeah. at singing. Yeah. And I used to not do it in church because I don't have a good singing voice. It feels good. But it feels good. And I think at some point I figured out or I believe that it's not really about singing well. It's, yeah. like, a way of giving praise and... There's something in the act of doing it, even if it's a little self-conscious at first. Where you're like, "Does the lady in front of me De hate
0: my... oyenos. Yeah. Lord, hear
2: our prayer. <laughs> the, the intercession, <laughs> the intercession
0: song that they do there is is kind of goofy. Yeah. Were you there for the mass when they were like, because they sing the intercessions in yeah. between the, the 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 refrain. Yeah. And one one mass, they were like talking about this family, and they were like. And for our, and for our beloved cat. <laughs> uh,
1: but That's that, a divisive subject too. Like I would argue with guys in the Novitiate a lot about whether animals went to heaven. And I think I did it a little bit just to, just to people. get people riled up. You yeah. don't believe they go to heaven.
0: Do you think dogs go to, all dogs go to heaven?
1: I don't know, dude. I think it's interesting to yeah. think about. I, I don't think there's like a theological basis for it. Or anything, but it's also hard to imagine that every other form of creation just gets destroyed on death upon death and
2: it's like pretty <laughs> strange like,
0: I mean there's this idea though that man is the is the medium through which the world is deified,
1: right right mm-hmm. and the belief is that we're the only we're the only creatures that have rational souls. But then I think. But what is? My argument would be that is like as we learn more about the natural world, we find out a lot about. I mean, the cognitive abilities and states of other animals and beings, and it's not impossible, in my opinion, that other animals could have something that would qualify as a rational soul. Yeah. Particularly like large-brain mammals. Crows shit i don't know
3: i don't know about crows (laughs) crows are mad smart
1: yeah crows are just we've we've
0: been coping with the hyper murder around here yeah you know about the hyper murder. we gotta
3: gotta say the crows are smart Uh, otherwise something might happen yeah yeah Yeah.
0: we got a hyper murder
3: of crows yeah really like there's like tens of thousands tens of of thousands of crows just like hanging out like a couple blocks away
1: yeah yeah (laughs) i knew a guy
0: there's
3: gotta be god in
0: that in there somewhere
1: yeah there was a guy in the novitiate who was like super trad, very trad. Yeah. Um, but who agreed with me about this and his belief was like pretty much like horseshoe theory. Heaven is like going to be a new earth. And what would it mean to have a new earth that wasn't populated with like trees and animals and things like that, that that doesn't make any sense. Like it's going to be the
0: moon or something.
1: Right. Or it's going to be some, like we're going to have bodies. We're going to inhabit like a physical space. It's called a it's called a essentially a perfect version of earth. And that would, presumably include like i mean to me like trees are living right so like if no other living being uh plants or things like that like what would that mean to have an earth where we don't have plants or trees or animals
3: there's a if you want the if you want the the esoteric magical take on this yeah uh it seems it seems decided within those circles that like humans are we are individual souls connected, you know, to God. Yeah. Right. Experiencing the world as like individual souls. Yeah. Um. And then like all uh, quote unquote lower forms of life are all part of like group souls. Hmm. So like cat is part of like, like a cat is part of like right. the cat group soul. Yeah. And, and our interactions with like a single cat that like lives with us like raises it but only hmm. because it like that's it's like our connection to it as right. like an individual soul like raises it but it's still connected to like the cat as like yeah a being being like a group soul. The
0: Uber cat. Yeah. So it's <laughs> the like form that. of cat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
3: <laughs> I I like that. So like it's it's all still part, you know, yeah. like we'll all, you know I be I, within the spiritual
0: realm i still need to finish my anecdote but yes. that's, that's, that's <laughs> it, it but, did get us off track right. yeah <laughs> but, but but that reminds me of what we were talking about last week with capitalism's drive to tear apart the organic unity of the human being into component parts right do you think that that does something at the soul
1: yes level? totally i think that a lot of that like you were saying directly, a lot of that stuff is totally unintelligible if you don't believe in something like a soul like what does it mean to be atomized yeah it just sort of reduces it to like psychological states that then can be overcome by self-altering your psychological state Mm. but if it's like your soul that's being compartmentalized or torn apart yeah then it requires a deeper solution Mm. and i also think that like the soul lives in unity with like like when we, when I said that, like people are communal, it means that, like, we're meant, like, our souls are at home in community. We're not meant to live isolated. And in some ways, I don't think we can be saved as isolated human beings. We're either saved together, or we're not saved at yeah. all. And what about hermits, bro? The hermit journey, bro. <laughs> a lot of hermits don't live in in hermitage forever.
0: They are in a form
1: of community. They are in a form of community. And I mean, if you're a real hermit, you believe in the communion of saints. So you're constantly praying to a communion of other people on similar life paths. So it's not like this isolated thing where you're alone and you're trying to escape. There's I don't think that real hermitage is an escape from humanity. It's like an attempt to fully embrace the human community by getting rid of distractions. And in this case, the distraction would be oftentimes a world that's, perceived to be moving away from god and when you look at the history of hermits that's a lot of what's happening is they are distressed by a communal life that isn't focused on god and that they find that distracting to their to their journey towards god so they're not leaving their intention is not to leave to get away from people their intention is to leave so that they can get closer to what it really means to be part of the human community Mm -hmm. it's kind of this weird way of thinking about it but it's cool
2: I like that
1: a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, uh, so yeah, just, I'll finish this story.
0: So basically Jack and Ava went to church with me and we were going through the liturgy. They do the readings, right? Every week at yeah. Catholic mass. There's, there's a Old Testament. Mm-hmm. There's a non gospel New Testament. A psalm. A psalm or a, I guess that's Old Testament. So it could be psalms or it could be an epistle. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so there's that. And then there's, there's gospel. Um, so they do the readings. I don't remember what they were about because for the homily, Father Harry gets up there, the priest, and he's like, we have a guest today. And it turns about, turns out to be this dude from the Glen, the Glenberry priest. You heard of this? No. He's a French guy named Francois. <laughs> he, he's about 74 years old. He gets up there and he's, he's got a chart with him. He's got, he's got this big old chart. Yeah. And it, it shows the, um, it's a demographics chart that shows the denominations of di- different Christians, different forms of Christians throughout the United States. Yeah. And they are a missionary order that goes to places where there are few Catholics or lapsed Catholics and tries to reestablish churches for them. Fine, well and good. But the homily in the homily he doesn't bring the readings up at all. Right. Completely ignores them. Mm-hmm. Basically, it feels like a like an advertisement. Yeah, for his order, they do a double collection, right? And then he's like talking about how he does prison ministry, and he's like saying all this stuff, like, "Oh yeah, if they behave, the you know they deserve. It. If they behave themselves, yeah. they deserve." <laughs> I was like, "Okay," <laughs> um but I, I felt, I felt, I, and I shouldn't, I don't want to be disrespectful, but I felt bad because I was there to try. I'm not trying to convince my friends of the rightness of this faith, yeah. but I'm trying to show them that there's food here right? for the spirit. I know exactly what you're talking about. And it was embarrassing. Yes. (laughs) Um, But, so I want you to react to that. And then I also, he said something that was really funny towards the end. And he was like, basically like, pray for the new priests because I'm 74 and I no longer know what makes the new priests tick. And, and, and they, some of them go about in a Cossack. Yeah. And, I, and I say to them, um, "If you go about in a Cossack, do you also drive a Model T?" Right, and it's because they weren't. He said, "It's because they did not go through the Vatican II Council." Yeah. What What do you What do you think he was referring
1: to in talking right. about that? Yeah, I'll answer it backwards. Yeah, um, the cassock thing. So, cassocks for the listener who doesn't know is a yeah. is a habit. It's um, like a robe, kind of looks like a bathrobe. Usually with either buttons or a cincher. and um, it used to be like a commonly worn thing. You know, it wasn't just priests who wore it; it was like a commonly worn garment yeah. uh, in the Middle Ages. Yeah. And over time, it became a distinctly clerical, um, a distinctly clerical like thing to wear, mm-hmm. and it was essentially tossed out and Vatican two in favor of the clerical shirt, which most people are familiar with. It's a black button down shirt with a white collar. So priests haven't always worn that. In fact, they haven't worn it very long at all. And, um, the idea is that Vatican two is what fifties, uh, yeah. Fifties through 62, I think. Yeah. Um, and it's a liturgical council to essentially modernize the liturgy, which is the, Mm -hmm. the mass or public forms of worship and the idea is that this is a this is a sort of anachronistic um thing to wear it makes us look like outdated and we should wear stuff that people we should wear clothing as we did in the old days that reflects that we're part of the people people wear dress shirts to work yeah we should wear some version of a dress shirt um and there's a similar thing like with nuns, like nuns used to wear habits. And now that there's like a type of nun that wears like a pantsuit. It's very unpopular in the church. And those orders are dying out. And, and the, you know, the more conservative, I guess, or traditional, uh, orders of sisters who wear habits are doing better. So there's a belief about, and there's arguments about we should wear distinctive habits because it helps us stand out in public. It helps us like become this identifiable thing that people realize there are Priests yeah. in the world. There are priests today, you know, like kind of boomer priests who don't wear any form of. They wear, wear street clothes. They wear street clothes. Yeah, and to um, so the belief is like there's a sort of younger movement. Was, was the Catholic Church at its most modernized in the 60s? Yeah, 60s. Apparently, things got weird in like the 60s and the 70s, and and there was sort of this belief of like liberalizing guitar mass. Yeah, guitar mass. Um, passing the plate passing the the eucharistic plate around mm. um shit like that and it really upset a lot of traditional people but there's a younger there's a younger like flow of catholic people who are really interested in orthodoxy i think it's an identity thing i think like we had a guy who came in and talked to us and he talked about like you know this this rigidity around what it means to be catholic for young traditional or conservative types never existed in in older generations you could be a lapsed catholic you could be a good catholic or a bad catholic but there was no question about whether or not you were catholic and today we feel this hyper need to define Mm. define ourselves and um define our boundaries representational yes and um i think that there can be good instincts to wear a habit i think it would i mean i was interested in a little bit when i was in the novitiate and i thought it was cool and special and it's a way for you to make yourself identifiable i saw a guy at the airport on tuesday i saw a franciscan cfr he had the rosary and yeah. the, the fucking gray habit and everything it was sick <laughs> it was super sick i guess i'm i'm more and that's that's so like, i think he what he's what that priest is talking about yeah. is that he doesn't understand like why why do you guys feel the need to constantly define and represent yourselves as Catholic because he's never gone through some experience where he's doubted what it meant to be Catholic in the world.
0: It's interesting though, cause he was doing the same thing in yeah. a way yeah. in the mass. Was he? Yeah. But, but it was like interesting to me because he's someone that I see as relatively conservative. Right. Mm-hmm. In his understanding of what it means to be a Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was saying, I don't understand these young guys. Yeah. It's yeah. like, what What about the call, the invitation, isn't isn't sort of, um, you know, syncing up between
1: generations? I mean, I think the past, I don't know however many years, certainly the last 60 years, there's been a focus, like, for example, in the society and other places on... Being religious is about... <clears throat> internal prayer life internal experience of god yeah personal connection with god and so what it means to be religious is to achieve some sort of personal connection through prayer private prayer an older version an older form of faith is much more about the community ritual following and that would include things like following laws and and sort of customs are you thinking like pre-augustine I'm thinking or around that like pre-reformation yeah, leading into the reformation. This is what's building up is this personal, this idea of personal commitment to God. And we can, you can think of books like the imitation of Christ is a good example by whom Thomas Kempis, um, which stresses sort of like to be a Christian is not to simply follow the rules or something like that, but to cultivate an inner life where one is close to Christ and acts like Christ. And this older, you know, certainly back in um like the jewish christian community the idea was was sort of a community involvement and i think younger catholics who are traditional are interested in that they're interested in canon law they're interested in this an idea of catholicism that's less focused on i wouldn't want to say less focused on your prayer life because they pray a lot and they believe in prayer but certainly like when you pray you should pray the rosary you should pray pre pre-written or prescribed prayers that the church teaches and not just sort of have a colloquy with god on your own necessarily. So so they're you, very afraid of subjectivism. So
0: mm. let me let me just ask in in like because when i encounter trad sentiment say in a representational space yeah. i'm talking the internet basically. Yeah. It usually seems to me just on an intuitive level to be based on essentially contempt for an enemy. Yes. Uh, do you think that there's a value in the trad movement within
1: the church that goes beyond that simple condescension? Yeah. That you I mean, see? I would say, yeah. And I don't know how into it you want to get, but I think that say, you speak yes. your truth. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, I think it oftentimes it is this sort of like kind of boring, like contempt for like everything that's not we need to go back kind of thing yeah. mm-hmm. but I would say that there's a genuine like the impulse that all these people are having and which I have sometimes is sort of like something is wrong with the way in which we live and the accepted ways of thinking and living are not totally solid and rational and they feel deeply compulsory and I need to find a way to get out of this Yeah. and it's validating to have a large community with deep roots that validates that there is another way and that, um, I think oftentimes, you know, the church asks of a or religion in general, I shouldn't say the church religion and this type of Catholicism asks for, um, you to submit yourself to something bigger than yourself. And I think the general idea is that the world really builds up the individual in a way that's both insincere and, um, irrational and leads to sort of and yet despair and yet you yourself
0: art um haven't taken that tack
1: no i mean i think it's good to have some sort of balance between the two positions i think there's a reason why we developed historically from you know my hegel life here there's a reason why we why we <laughs> move past this and came into yeah. this desire for a deeper subjectivity, but I also think that. So, like, I respect, I respect the, and I guess I'm
0: referring specifically to your. And we don't, you know, I don't know how if you want to get into this. We can get into it. You're you're joining an an order.
1: Yeah, I mean, I and, wanted to be part of something bigger than myself, and I was willing to let go of certain old ideas of like. You know. Like I want to be. I want to be formed a little bit. I don't want to be the person solely forming myself. And that requires a level of, um, self emptying so that someone else can put something there. Mm -hmm. And it's very hard. I mean, it's hard to talk about vocation stuff because I think most of the time people don't understand why you'd want to do something like that. Or even like the idea of, you know, the, the vows, right. Mm -hmm. Chastity, obedience, um, poverty, poverty, um, Like none of those things are necessarily attractive at all, <laughs> particularly chastity and obedience. Yeah. And I think poverty in reality too, like poverty is fucking tough when, when someone sends you money and you have to give it to the community or someone sends you a gift basket, at the, your mom sends you cookies and you, you have to share all of them and you, yeah, you know, it's, you give up your right to private property and you can't just buy stuff when you want all that. Or obedience is like, people would say well what do you want to do in the society and the truth is i don't get to pick what i do i can there's a dialogue that's better today where they listen to you and they want you to the belief is that you'll thrive in a place where you are happy to some extent mm-hmm. but like the idea is that you go where your mission to go you don't have a say yeah. in it necessarily if they tell you to go yeah work on the border and you wanted to do academic work so be it like you're going if you're a good jesuit and you live up to the charism you'll you'll do it yeah and you not you don't just conform your actions you conform your this is what's best for me and for the society yeah there's a lot of humility and in, in being willing to um, trust and subject your judgment to the judgment of others and I think in our world i'm i lean I give that a little bit of edge because I think that that's just not a popular sentiment I think that yeah the modern ethos is like just like think for yourself reason mm-hmm. for yourself you know be your own standard of judgment all the time and um it doesn't that doesn't work out a lot of the time for people oh no, definitely and you could easily turn around and go it wouldn't have hurt you to like trust some people you know <laughs> to like ask yeah. for help and trust people and like maybe do something more conventional and not so like the sort of it's the same way i guess like this desire to be unique and to find your own way like what, what's that really about Um, I don't know
0: what I was initially asking, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but what I was initially asking was about the fact that you ultimately discerned that you didn't want to live in an order,
1: right? Um, you're asking why?
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you, I'm not asking you to explain yourself, but I guess,
1: Um, Shit, I'll explain myself.
0: Yeah, I don't know. Damn. I guess maybe maybe you don't have to explain yourself, but like, how are you feeling? Like, where are you at with your?
1: I with, feel with your faith. I'll explain myself, and then that I think that'll help me answer the question. Yeah, and I'm sure that some of the guys in the novitiate we'll listen to this. Yeah. So maybe that'll be a good thing. Um, I started discerning when I was in college and I was writing, reading and writing a lot about like anarchism and um, I think deeply concerned about like what was wrong with the world and suffering and like how do we make the world a better place kind of thing. And I think I concluded that like or what I came to was like, um, maybe we can't affect like these system changes that thinkers talk about, but like, it doesn't mean that we can't commit ourselves to being part of a force of good in the world and like trying to help other people in this personal way. And I think that helping someone develop their faith and and the faith journey in general for people is a big part of that. It was a big part of that for me, like in recovery, people who, in some ways, that's like the meaning of their, yeah. I can think of certain people's sponsorship as like their vocation. It's not what they do for money that defines like the meaning of their life. It's like this thing they do on the side and a lot of it's very spiritual. Yeah. So I think that was a big influence was like, I want to do something like that. I want to have some sort of vocation where I'm like really helping people and where it's grounded in God. Like a, a yeah, giving of self, trying to make things better, maybe not as committed to like bringing about the messianic moment, but more like we can help people on an individual basis. And what's unique about a religious order is that they have an, in, they do that in an institutional way. Like they have a lot of resources and capacity to help you do that. And good examples of that would be like, um, the Kino border initiative or, um, the J Je- the Jesuit refugee service, or in America, it would be like homeboy industries, which was started by one Jesuit and is now like a fixture in East LA for gang members and people coming out of prison. I listened to a to a talk about that when I was at Demontreville. Yeah. on the tape player. It's super inspiring and like dope that yeah. like that was one guy's vocation was like I'm going to start um I'm going to create some sort of program to help people transition out of prison and it's become this massive this huge I mean it's like a fixture in in the Latino community in East LA. Yeah. And so I think, and the other options are, I think for someone coming out of college are essentially like getting a job, um, in a nonprofit or something, or going to work in the corporate world or pursuing further education. Yeah. Um, and so I joined up with that intention. I spent a year volunteering with them, kind of like trying on the, the outfit a little bit. I liked it. It felt good. I joined in August, um, got to, like, do it for a little bit, got to, like, be a Jesuit novice for a little bit. Yeah. A lot changed in that time. Um, personal, like, my prayer life deepened. Like, it's one thing to be on the outside, kind of doing it as a volunteer year. And then when you're in there and you don't have a phone and you have a lot of quiet time to pray and, like, this is the meaning of your life at this point and it's not just something you're doing on the side it's like you know friday night saturday night you're at home you know you might hang out a little bit but a lot of time like if you don't pray a lot like your shit's gonna suck yeah and if you don't find that is life-giving you have to rely on it yeah you really rely on it and you develop a relationship with god where you really do feel like god is guiding you and, and talking to you maybe not in this like I think that used to be confusing for me. Like, as, it's not audible. It's not like I can hear a voice being like, "You're doing good. Keep it up." As people <laughs> naturally, we we
0: we learn to rely on other people as mirrors. Yeah, in order to show us that we're okay. Right. And 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 when you can't do that as much,
1: yeah, that's the whole you, point. You're confronted with yourself, and it's with like them. people can't make these decisions for you. Yeah, and that's a big part of Jesuit spirituality. Is like, how do you make decisions? And Sorry. And, and it's fucking hard. Yeah. Like if you ever, if you've ever been in a situation where you have to make a big decision, oftentimes you go talk to your friends or someone who you trust and you kind of just take the answer that feels right. And you're like, I'm going to do that. Mm -hmm. Just kind of what Hank was talking about earlier, I think a little bit. So it's hard to really sit with your own, to pray about it and talk to God and try and figure out what you feel is right. What God is directing you to do, to do God's will, so to speak, is really hard. So God's will can even
0: go against, can go against remaining. Yes.
1: And that's what I figured. That's kind of what I figured out was like, I had this like really good idea and plan and desire to help other people. But in prayer, I didn't feel like God was asking me to do it in that way. And I think I, I felt like it's possible if not probable that this will at some point inhibit my ability to actually do that stuff. Mm. And that part of something I realized, and this is going to sound silly maybe to people was like, it never occurred to me that like God, God wanted me to like be happy. (laughs) It didn't like, it didn't occur to me that like that was a big part of God's plan was like, God wants me to have like a fulfilling life where I feel loved and I feel happy. Damn right. And nor was that something that I really sought out in prayer. And, um, I think that like that eventually led to this, like, okay, am I ready to, do I, do I want to keep moving forward with this? Or do I feel like God's asking me to do something else? And, um, I think some of it had to do with prayer around, I guess you could say chastity, but really it's about maybe, um, connection. The life of a Jesuit has a lot of connection in a certain way. Yeah. And it also doesn't, it's like a very solitary life where you're like being missioned all over the place and you're saying goodbye to people and you're, you're fully reliant on God. And not that I don't want to live a life where I'm fully reliant on God, but where I don't know if I was ready to fully like give that up. And that came to me like, oh, I really find happiness and like meaning in my relationships with other people. Yeah. And am I ready to like close the door on that? Because in a year I'm going to take a vow to God in a very meaningful and real way that that's my intention, like, you know, comparable to marriage. Yeah. And I, that became clear that I wasn't ready to do that. And then I think from there it was just a matter of you know, maybe let's stick it out through the, um, stick it out through the exercises or something, but I went on a retreat and I felt very close to God and had a hard time like coming to this final decision about, I need to leave, I need to leave. And kind of felt like maybe I don't, I'm really enjoying this. I'm doing this like week of silence and it feels really good, um, to just spend that time in prayer but then ultimately feeling like I need to figure out what's going on in my prayer life around all this stuff. And, um, maybe I'm going to be more useful to God leaving. And I think there's truth to that too. Like on some Simone Bay shit, like maybe my vocation <laughs> is to help people in a way where I'm not so embedded in the church. Yeah. Cause I think it can be a barrier as much as it, as much as it, the institutional thing helps you. Wearing the collar is a barrier to people listening to you who aren't a member who aren't members of the church.
0: You remember the first thing I said when you told me that you left? No. Well maybe it wasn't the first thing I said, but it was now we can be now we can be Christians together. Yeah, that's
1: true. And I'm excited about oh, that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a lot of people who I've met who over the past however many months who have talked about Oh, I go to church now or whatever. I've gotten interested in prayer and it's been beautiful to see how I've been able to like play any role at all and, or how God has used me to like help them make those movements in their life. Welcome back to the world, bro. Thank you. I'm super excited about it. Welcome back to exile. But then as I've left, it's like, that's what I was doing for the last two years. So I don't have like work experience. I sold my car. I sold all my personal stuff. Yeah. All my furniture. Yeah. So, in another way, it's like this very scary starting over
2: yeah.
1: thing where I'm like, I feel I feel like I'm too old to be doing this shit a little bit, even though I'm not old. But I'm like, uh, this is something that you should maybe do. Like, go move home and build your life up from scratch in your early 20s, not as you're nearing 30. Um so it's terrifying and I think that's where a lot of the like I I learned how to rely on God and the novitiate a lot more and so that's really been my main way to deal with that and it's been very effective much yeah. more effective than maybe like six or seven years ago I would just be like perpetually hanging out with people <laughs> so I wasn't alone <laughs> mm-hmm. and I don't feel the need to do that yeah and in fact I don't want to do that I need there's times where I'm like I really do need to just be alone right now and like be with myself and feel what's going on and pray about it and
2: yeah.
1: try and like feel God's grace in my life right now. Um, I
0: see you as making boss moves personally.
1: Certainly. Thank you. Yeah. So I feel, mean I, I mean, it's like, I feel really good. I feel supported. Yeah. I feel like I'm in, like I have a lot of opportunity in front of me, but I also feel like scared because I, I don't have like some sort of plan and I certainly don't have, um, I don't have like yeah, you know, I don't have a I don't have a thing a path figured out yet. So there's gonna be some some work to do. Yeah. But um
0: we'll be here.
3: Yeah. I'm excited about you. it. Definitely. Yeah, I think that's like what I said to Nick when he told me that you had left the novitiate was something about like there was a very clear set path for you. Right. And to think like If you make a decision based on, you know, your perception of like God's will for you, like that is a path too. Yeah, that's, you're, you're not just following like, yeah, the path that is,
1: yeah, it's very, um, right there
3: in front of you, it might be hard to see, but yeah,
1: yeah, it is hard to see. I mean, and I think that there is something comfortable about being in the novitiate where you're going to be not only like materially taken care of, but like your opportunities in life to do interesting and cool work Mm -hmm. um, are like pretty bountiful and it's scary to feel like you've, I've limited myself quite a bit by Mm -hmm. leaving, but I feel good about the courage it took to like follow God in that way. Like if God doesn't want me there and I'm better off serving him somewhere else, then that's what I'm supposed to do. And, um, he's not going to like, Leave me or
0: something. Mm-hmm. You want to do another heresy or not? Nah?
1: Yeah. <laughs> All
0: right. This is Simone Ve. Okay. I can I can tell you right away what the answer is, but <laughs> no. Yeah, let's let's do the movement. Okay. So, really, what this is is Gnostic. Nothing ever said or written goes so far as the devil's words to christ in saint luke concerning the kingdoms of the world quote, "all this power will i give thee and the glory of it for that is delivered unto me and to whomsoever i will give it" it follows from this that the social is irremediably the domain of the devil the flesh impels us to say me and the devil impels us to say us or else to say like the dictators I, with a collective signification. And in conformity with his particular mission, the devil manufactures a false imitation of what is divine, an ersatz divinity. By social, I do not mean everything connected with citizenship, but only collective emotions. I am well aware that the church must inevitably be a social structure, otherwise it would not exist. But insofar as it is its social structure, it belongs to the prince of this world. It, it is because it is an organ for the preservation and transmission of truth that there is an extreme danger for those who, like me, are excessively open to social influences. For in this way, what is purest and what is most defiling look very much the same and confused under the same words, make an almost undecomposable mixture. There is a Catholic circle ready to give an eager welcome to whoever enters it. Well, I do not want to be adopted into a circle, to live among people who say we, and to be part of an us, to find I am at home in any human milieu, whatever it may be. In saying I do not want this, I am expressing myself badly, for I should like it very much. I should find it all delightful. But I feel that it is not permissible for me. I feel that it is necessary and ordained that I should be alone, a stranger and an exile in relation to every human circle without exception.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a heresy. <laughs> <laughs> that's a hundred percent a heresy. I agree. And I think that that's, I like that reading though, yeah. because I think sometimes we, idealized thinkers in a way where we can't appreciate the struggles that they're going through the way that they're, she's, they're she's person, their personal lives impact their she's ideas. A we, she's a weirdo. Yeah. <laughs> she's a weird person. That gave me big, that gave me big <laughs> Augustine sex vibes. The way that he writes about sex, where he clearly struggled with he sexual impulses like a lot he and it. it leads him to crazy ideas about sex yeah. that like are totally incongruent with the, the genius of whatever else he was writing about
0: her whole life. Simone Veil abandoned her, what she was born into in order to join other communities to try to find right. the truth of life there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she realized finally in converting to Christianity that the only way it could be a place for her was if it was a constant tension between that impulse to join something once and for all and yeah. to remain on the edge of it. Yeah. Which is a heresy, for sure. yeah, for sure, and I and think it's that, not a way that most people can live. Yeah, like but do the, you think it, do you think it could be valid that that was really her path?
1: I think that, or do you think she's just she's tripping? I think she's tripping. Yeah, I think that. <laughs> I think that I understand. I think her fear she star- is she starved to death. Her fear is valid. <laughs> yeah, but I think that the goal is to like those those deep deep fears have to be overcome. Yeah, through like prayer and through, I mean. Part of that's like where we where we learn to trust, like the tradition that lies outside of our own experience of like.
0: What would you say to Simone Ve? If she was here about with us?
1: that, yeah, I would say. I would I would just caution her to be to be, open to what attention would look like with community where you're still part of it. How do I live in community without sacrificing what it means to be me? And is like is it okay to at times like not be totally. Um. like is there a way for me to be in communion without capitulating my own like internal subjectivity which is super real i mean i totally get that and that's something that i struggled with in the novitiate Is like how do you learn to be yourself how do you keep being yourself in a community where there's a lot of difference and um... she
0: really struggled i'm interrupting you i know she really struggled to believe that god could love her yeah she didn't believe it
1: me too. That's Me too. I, like Simone, we're all with you.
3: Yeah. So true. It it honestly kind of feels like an inversion of like the the hermetic. She's like trying to be like a hermit within like groups. Right. Like she's like gonna go check out, yeah, hang out with groups, but like, but I'm separate. Like you're all good and holy, but I'm like yeah, outside right. Right of that. Instead of you know the hermit who goes out and it's like I am connected with everybody, right. but like yeah without them around me
1: yeah i mean that's part of what i thought of too is like part of like the problem with being like a brain your whole life is you ignore these other aspects of your self your spirit your spirit that are just as real and just as important um and like yeah it just seems like there's stuff that that's leading her to that decision that's not totally based in thought alone did you have a (laughs) heresy (laughs)
3: This whole book. (laughs) I just thought it would be funny to read, to read, uh, (laughs) to just out of the blue, read a, read a crude version of the uh, Sophia demiurgical myth. Yeah. (laughs) This is a paragraph. This is uh, reported by Hippolytus. Mm -hmm. Sophia is the youngest Aeon of the Pleroma, the 28th. She ascends towards the father and notices that he had generated without a partner. She wants to imitate him, ignoring that her own powers are far less than those of the unbegotten. Therefore, the product of her endeavor is a substance devoid of form and perfection, a miscarriage whose sight afflicts his mother and the whole Pleroma. The Aeon Limit Cross is (laughs) known as Horostaros. ...is emitted by the father to bar Sophia from the Pleroma. Abandoned outside, Sophia knows a fourfold passion, anguish, pain, confusion, and supplication, which is a positive and equals conversion in Irenaeus' version. The Aeon fruit, carpos, emitted by all the Pleroma together, comes to rescue Sophia from her passions, which are changed into substances anguish becomes psychic substance of which the demiurge consists also called of the left pain becomes hyalic or material substance confusion becomes demonical substance and supplication psychic substance of the right incredibly confusing but
1: (laughs) i didn't understand it but i'm just going to guess that it's a heresy because i didn't understand it yeah
0: well sophia (laughs) sophia is wisdom Mm -hmm. and the pleroma is the basically syzygy of the of the spheres the the order of the universe yeah the cosmos Mm -hmm. and so sophia it's it's a story of the fall yeah in a sense sophia is imitating she wants to imitate the father right and she becomes anguished
3: yeah and she's saved by what she that's what i she's saved by uh the aeon fruit fruit Fruit. yeah i can't i don't know what that's the (laughs) that's the weird thing yeah um and then when she's saved that's what creates the evil physical world yeah because in order to like get rid of those like spiritual afflictions they become like material manifested yeah and we're trapped there yeah yeah <laughs> we're searching for that blue fairy yeah i don't know about i don't know about that this this book was really crazy they were talking about like like this passage where they start to say baruch attempts to address moses and the prophets but nas blurs his messages Elohim, therefore, decides to proselytize among the uncircumcised, and sends Heracles to fight the twelve angels of Eden. This is the allegorical explanation of the twelve labors of Heracles. But at the very moment when the hero seemed to have triumphed over them, the angel Babel Aphrodite, posing as Ompholi, deprives Heracles of his power, thereby, thereby nullifying his precedent victories. Eventually, Baruch finds a solid ally in Jesus of Nazareth,
2: the only one
3: <laughs> whom Nas is unable to seduce and therefore must crucify in revenge. <laughs> that was at the end of, of, of the very long, like, multi page uh, version of the, the Sophic myth. Um, but, God, it sounds like science fiction. <laughs> Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> Should we put them on the wheel?
0: Yeah. Take them for a spin on the wheel? Yeah. Okay.
3: Catherine wheel. Let's yeah. go.
1: I'm trying to think. I My sister... I'll give you a heresy. Okay. You can tell me if you think this is a heresy. Okay. My sister got me this book a couple of years ago on... Heresy. The The long... It's like a long form of Adam and Eve that's not included in the Bible. And... Like, it starts off with, like, the sort of typical... Like, they're in the garden. Um, God creates Eve out of Adam's rib sort of thing. There's a snake that's the devil. Yeah. And the snake's, like... But, like, the snake has more dialogue. Like, he... Every time they're alone, like, they take time... They go off to do something on their own. And the snake appears and, like, sort of tempts them and talks to them. Mm. Um, and then, eventually, they eat the apple and they're thrown out. And after they're thrown out, Adam like talks to god and he's like yo i need a way to he doesn't say yo but i'm paraphrasing yeah he's like i need a way to like combat the serpent's like influence on me yeah i can't seem to like think for myself or figure things out and he's always find he always finds me and it's like things are fucked yeah and um he's like let me take eve as like my wife and like enter into this special relationship where we can like protect each other from the devil. And it starts to develop this discourse about like protection sort of thing. Like give us a way to protect each other and God marries them. And as I was reading it, like that's a pretty different understanding of like marriage than what's taught by the church that like, this is essentially a sacramental relationship where the goal is to help one another, like avoid evil in this life and like stay close to God. And I like that definition of marriage a lot.
0: It's beautiful. It also Mm -hmm.
1: doesn't necessarily require God's blessing on the marriage. Doesn't require any sort of priest or another person, which gets complicated within the history of Christianity, but it moves into this thing of like, it's an internal commitment that one that you make with one another. And in this, there's a sacramental moment where God gives his blessing and you guys are like now committed to one
3: another yeah. It like there's a permanence to it. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Protection versus helping avoid ducking. Yeah. Ducking evil. Yeah. Versus uh, You're confronting, confronting it. it
0: together.
2: Right. Confronting
1: yeah. evil together. I love that. And then I think later on in the story, like the serpent appears, but they'll, they're always together. And the serpent has, like, has a noticeably lesser power over them Yeah, because they're able to like protect each other
3: heresy probably a heresy because we like it yeah yeah <laughs> i like it a lot too yeah yeah
1: it also feels like it moves away from a concept of the family that's about reproduction yeah that i think can get yes. pretty toxic and weird not that having children isn't like beautiful and right wonderful in its own right but um i don't think that that's the
3: the end of marriage necessarily well that's i mean that's part of it that we were talking about when we were talking about you know breaking bread with beef yeah you know protection versus avoiding helping each other to avoid it it's like right. the, the avoidance of it you know it's what's my, hurting it's us. what's hurting us it's what's generating that yeah. anger it's yeah. like why are not we just let's just deal with this together you know? yeah,
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> thank
0: you so much tyler for thank you tyler being bro. here with us
1: yeah thank you for Love thank you for uh, having me yeah and uh Sorry it took me so long to figure out this microphone oh, no, situation. You did, you did great. Yeah, I love this. This was fun. Let's do it again sometime. We should. Yeah. We should definitely do it again sometime.
3: Yeah, thanks so much. It's been. This is like the first like real conversation that Tyler and I have gotten to have. Yeah. You know, and uh, I really appreciate it. Even though we've, yeah. <laughs> we've heard about it. I like knew you guys years. would like each other.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean, I don't know if you like each other, but... <laughs>
2: No, I do. Why I are you definitely. stirring the pot? Yeah,
0: <laughs> I, I, I my friend Sam Worthington told me I, I should be a little cagey for fun sometimes.
1: Yeah. This is crazy that I feel like I've heard about Hank for years, and it's yeah. pretty bizarre that our first real conversation is a podcast. It is.
3: <laughs> Welcome to twenty twenty three. Yeah. <laughs> All right. No more parasocial relations. Close us with a
0: prayer. Sure, sure. I'll just, um, I'll just close with the prayer that I sent to you the other day. Yeah, that'd be beautiful. Cool. So, uh, Christ, um, I we pray for the grace of gentleness help us to see the gentle nature of all creation to know and to practice the gentle nature of your acts in the world and to feel the gentle movement of your spirit may all our actions be gentle today interactions with people animals plants small tasks and large ones may we be gentle in our actions deeds and ideas and above all with ourselves amen
2: amen amen all right